My wife Miriam was with me, but uh, her parents are elderly, 90 and 86. My mother is also elderly, and uh, we, couldn't th- we didn't think we could leave for uh, three, four months uh, w- and them stay there. We also have five kids, and they have a way of multiplying. <laughs> so now we also have a lot of uh, grandkids, and it demands attention also. And we still believe that my wife's first ministry is to the family, keeping it together. And so she, she has me on a string. I'm like a yo-yo. She sends me out, and then I, she, she pulls me back in. Thank you for the way you have been family to us for about 40 years. As you'll be leaving, you'll see there's a table there. There's a plate with chocolate from Belgium. It is the best chocolate in the world. We even, have, we even had tests with all of the European missionaries for UWF and Belgium won. So have a piece. Also take one of these prayer cards. We want you to remember us. Your last card is expired because you need a new one. The new one has the special coating that keeps cockroaches away. (laughs) They see my face and they run. Uh, Or you can put it on the refrigerator and it will take temptation to overeat. You look... You will also find different things on the table. Uh, I've tried something new. Uh, I wanted to innovate, not, not just at the regular table. So this is the contest. It's a game. You can pick up one of these sheets, and inside you will find 20 questions. On the table are actually 18 things. There are two, two that are not there. They are clues to famous Belgian people. And as you look at the clue... Try to find which famous Belgian people is it pointing to. You can use Google, you can use Siri. The only thing you can't do is torture me to get the answers. It's the only thing you can't do. But anything else is fair game. And and there will be prizes for those who get the most answers. So we we do have a a few things we'd like to give away. So just try, see uh, if you can beat. Uh, You got one, that's right. Being in ministry is very exciting and and fun. You know, the the greatest part is being able to tell someone about Jesus. We're, in a way, we are ambassadors, we're sent, we're an exhibit of God's love. And actually, that's what Paul says, we as the church, we are God's exhibit. We are the showcase. Now, you go to the mall and you walk by the diamonds and, and... They usually put red velvet and you see the diamonds sparkling. Well, in a way, the church, we are the diamonds that God is showcasing, not only to the world, but even to the heavenly authorities. The Apostle Paul wrote, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence." I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I read Paul and I go, "Uh uh-huh. 
I get every word. I mean, th there wasn't any word that was absolutely difficult to understand. But I don't get what he's saying. Now, if, we, if we were to have a test, how many of you would say, oh yeah, I master what he said. I, I understand. I, I know. So maybe you need to do like I do sometimes. I take the text and I break it down in proposition. The Apostle Paul had a way of taking sometimes a whole chapter and it's only one sentence in Greek. I think my English teacher would have put a run-on sentence in the, in the margin. That's the Apostle Paul. So I took the passage and I broke it down into just a few thoughts. Though unworthy, says Paul, I have been allowed to come close to God confidently. I have been entrusted with the task of sharing the gospel of Jesus. The task of sharing how his marvelous salvation, that was a secret up to now, is available to all. Today, through the church, this great news, which is Jesus Christ, is made known to all in plain sight of the spiritual powers. I hope it's a little bit more understandable, but if you don't think it's understandable enough, you do it at home. Just try to, bring, to break it down, to make it simple, so that as you think through the passage, you, you understand the thoughts. I mean, the point for us is not simply to read the Bible, is it? The point is to understand it <laughs> and be able to apply it to our lives. We are God's showpiece, and sometimes, sadly, scandals happen. I mean, it usually hits the fan, goes on to, into the news cycle, and it's so sad. We see a problem here, we see a problem there, and now in, in this age, a problem in Florida is here, a problem in Nigeria is here, a problem in Europe is here, and vice versa. Whenever something bad happens in the church, it's all over the place. In a way, it's like if you took a whole shovel full of manure... And you can almost smell it, fresh, and, uh, and you threw it into a fan. Just imagine the effect. There's enough to spray everybody around. Sometimes we think, oh, but it happened in a Pentecostal church. So, oh, it happened in a Lutheran church. Or it happened in... Is it really that unimportant? Are we immune because it's not our brand? No. When a scandal hits the church, it hits the church. And we're part of the church. In a way, there is solidarity between all the branches of the church. We represent Christ. And when a scandal happens, it is a great shame because we are God's showpiece revealing His salvation through Jesus. Jesus is the only the sole cornerstone. Did you hear in the passage? In Him and through faith in Him. He is the center. That's why it's called Christianity. It is not Davidnity or Danielnity. Christianity. It is Christ at the center. And we should always strive to keep Him at the center of all things. The stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. And some will say, oh yeah. But you know, in the days of the Apostle Paul, whenever you said Jesus, 
you were likely to be persecuted. When people had said Jesus, the Apostle Paul put them in chains and he brought them back to Jerusalem to be condemned. Now to us it's, well, Jesus, I mean, there's a soccer player that's called Jesus and then you have necklaces and it's, it's very popular. But ultimately, he is the sole basis for salvation. I remember going to a, a, a little, uh, the biggest church in our city. It's a state church. And all around, there it is, all around the walls inside, they have these stones engraved. And you will read something like, um, the bright and morning star, the tower of David, the rose of Sharon, the hope of salvation, the, the fortress of faith. Whose names are these? God's name. The names of Jesus. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the hope of sinners. In that church, they attribute all of those names to Mary. Mary needed a Savior just like I did, just like you did. She was a special woman chosen by God, but she was just a sinful woman needing a Savior. It always hurts when I go in that church because they're taking away the glory that is owed to Jesus. I was standing there in front of the church. I had brought some friends to uh, have them visit it, but I timed it wrong because they had a service. So we waited, and we saw the, the people coming out, and then the, this old man came out, and he, he could hardly barely walk. The daughter had brought the car, so I went over to help, and I, I eased him into the car, and she looked at me and said, Oh, thank you, sir. Isn't my father deserving, she said. He comes to Mass every week. I kept my mouth shut. And it was hard, because what I really wanted to say was, yes, he is deserving of hell. Because that's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. If I, if, if I, if I was judged only by what I have done and who I am, I deserve hell. And it doesn't matter if I go to church, even on my knees. I mean, this church is on top of a hill. And in the 1500 and 1600, people would go up the hill on their knees, stopping at stations to pray. And they would get forgiveness for their sins. You can't get forgiveness for your sins that way. You remember the song, No, You Can't Get to Heaven on a Roller Skate? You remember that song? <laughs> well, no, we can't. We can't get to heaven on our good works. We can't get to heaven by what we do. We only get to heaven through Christ Jesus. He is the cornerstone, and we have to keep him right there. And if you've come today thinking that you're going to get merit by coming and even suffering through my sermon, no. The only merits we can obtain are through Christ Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. That's the only way. And we are showpieces of his salvation, his glory, his message. We, his church, are God's showpieces revealing his timeless plan. Listen to the passage. I was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. I must say, that's manifold wisdom of God. That's pretty hard.
hard to understand, isn't it? But that's what Paul is saying. Let us notice, first of all, the foresight of God. God planned our salvation before ages past. Sometimes we think, you know, God created Adam and Eve and said, Oh, shoot! They failed. Oh, that caught me by surprise. I didn't expect that. Sometimes that's what we think. Or, oh, Daniel, sure didn't think you were going to fail this test again. No, we have a God who from ages past has been planning and unrolling his plan, revealing it. Now, you just had the Super Bowl not too long ago, and uh, none of you stayed up to watch it, I suspect. (laughs) Nope. I didn't stay up either in Belgium. One time I did, and I regretted it after that because it usually ends up around 4 a.m. And then my wife says, go to work in the morning. (laughs) Well, you know, you look at these teams, and they practice and plan. They have, I'm told, they have huge books with play upon play upon play upon play upon play because they want to be ready for everything. And they practice the plays, and they practice it, and again, and again, and again. And they want to be sure that they can handle anything the other team will, will throw at them. If that guy comes, and, and you'll see it on TV, you see this guy running across, you see the other one running with him. Everything is planned. And you would think the plays would work. But most of them fail, right? I mean, if they worked, the score would be 120 to 140 because they would score so many more. But no. Even though they plan so much, they fail most of the time. Our God isn't like that. Whatever you throw at God, He's planned. And His plan will not be stopped. He is the Almighty. He is Adonai. He is the All-Powerful. And we can rest that He will accomplish His purpose. I love that passage that says that what he has started, he will complete. He started his work in my life, and I can rest confident. I will take you home. It is well with my soul. I will take you home. We are God's showpiece revealing his salvation. We are God's showpiece revealing his timeless plan, the foresight of God. But we also reveal the wisdom of God. God has showcased his wisdom in our salvation, and Paul goes on and on about it. He wants to extol. That's an old English word, I think. He wants to brag about the wisdom of God, the glory, the justice, the love, the thoughtfulness, the preparedness. How wide is the love of God? How deep, how profound? He wrote about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I remember when I was in math class. Any, any of you remember math class? That was like the dark ages. And they talked about the uh, sinus and cosinus and the algorithms. Whew, that was so difficult. <laughs> but my teacher understood it all. And if I had studied long enough, I could have been like my teacher, maybe. I'm more literature than math. But if I'd studied long enough, I could have mastered all of these, and I did enough to pass. Then I forgot. (laughs) 
It's not the same with God. You know, you can spend all of your life studying God. He's still a mystery. There are still things we don't understand about God. And I would advise, you know, have a little pad and write the questions that you're going to ask God when you get up there. I mean, I'm on pad number 44. (laughs) So many things that, you know, Jesus, just last week, one of the couples in our church lost the baby they were expecting. It was sad. And I I thought, why? This was a perfectly healthy baby. Why? But he is God, and he understands perfectly. And one day we'll understand what he was doing. This word, unsearchable, is also used in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of our God. How unsearchable his judgments. We can't get to the bottom of them. His paths are beyond our tracing out. Who has seen the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay? And the answer is nobody. Ninguna persona. Person. Nobody. Because God is, he's above. The Apostle Paul wrote about the manifold wisdom of God. It's manifold. It has many different aspects that we we, we can't understand. In a way, I just happen to have this in my pocket. Ah, just happens. We'll see if you're any in the first service. Okay. You look like you, you could be an artist. T- tell me, what do you see? Flowers. flowers. Yeah? Could be flowers. Ah, there, there's a budding artist. <laughs> what do you see? Looks like flowers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, you're only seeing a tiny little bit of a painting, a very famous painting. Did you recognize the painting? No. Sometimes that's, the way we, what, that's what we understand of God. We see a little bit of God, and we think, oh, it's nice. Well, I- even if you only see a little bit, don't you think it's nice? Did you hear it or did you see it? No, I knew it. You knew it. We have an artist here. You get a free piece of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) And Claude Monet it is. It is a very famous painting. And if you have it in, in, in your living room, if you have it in your living room, Make sure you put a new set of bolts on your door. <laughs> you see, we only see a little bit of God. One day we'll see the whole picture. One day we'll understand because that's what the scripture says. One day we will see him and we'll understand. But in the meantime, we see just a little bit. And he calls us to believe and to trust him on the little bit that uh, we see. And we should be extolling. We should be bragging about our God. I have a son-in-law. His name is Gregory. He is the, the husband of Rebecca. And you have Fanny and Julia there, my two granddaughters. The wisdom of God. I remember the day Rebecca came to 
introduced Gregory to us. And my wife thought he was, she was kidding. She said, this is Gregory, and he's a butcher. And my wife started laughing, because our daughter is vegetarian. <laughs> Who said God doesn't have humor, huh? <laughs> she, she no longer is vegetarian, so she eats just a little bit of meat now. Gregory works for Colroyd. Colroyd is a huge company like Kroger's, and he's a chief butcher for Colroyd. And often he's sitting across from me and he says, Oh, Daniel, you, you need to understand that the meat we get is the best meat because we can trace every single cow. Sometimes I ask him, You know the names of the cows, maybe? But he, they can trace them, what farm they came from, when they were born, how they were raised, wh what they were given to eat. They can trace where the food came from because they have their own farms. And he goes on and on and on about Colroyd. Isn't that what we should be doing about God? Isn't it? You know, my God is so marvelous. We're standing in front of something beautiful. Maybe it's just a, a deer that's walking by. It, wouldn't it be appropriate once in a while to just say, wow, you know, my daddy designed this animal. <laughs> and just to extol, to brag about our God. And sometimes we, husbands or wives, we're bragging about our partner. Oh, my wife is the best cook. She, she makes a mean cheesecake. Ooh. Oh, my husband, he can just fix anything you want. Give him duct tape and he'll fix it. <laughs> Let's brag about our God. Let's extol the virtues of who our God is. He is an amazing God. He is above everything else. His foresight, His wisdom, His love, His power. Have we become richer being exposed to the riches of God? Do we still marvel at God and what He has done for us? My wife is a great cook. And sometimes I tell her, I taught you everything. It's true. When I married her, she didn't know how to cook. And uh, she has overtaken me by like 20 light years. <laughs> she is a great cook. And I get, I get back from visitation. I get back from the hospital. And I have a short time. And I sit down and I wolf my meal. Do, are anybody else guilty of that? And she spent time an hour, an hour and a half, fixing this meal, dressing it up on the plate for me, and I wolf it down. That's pretty mean, isn't it? It's lacking respect for her work and her love. I'm learning, at least I know. And some of you guys, you don't even know you do that. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> but often we do that with God as well. We get up in the morning, we don't even say hi to God. We just go our merry way. We forget to say, wow, did you see? My arm is working today. Wow, God, it's marvelous. You're creating and you're taking the energy and, and it's working and you gave me air. Imagine for a second if God didn't give you air. <coughs> We'd croak. We go through the day. We don't say thank you for the, the wife or the husband he gave us. We don't say thank you for the kids or the grandkids. We don't say thank you. You know, some of us will even sit down before a meal 
And we don't even say thank you to God for the meal we've got. I, oh, Daniel, it's only a tradition. Yeah, it's only a tradition, but it's a good one. You know, dogs don't pray before they eat their meals. So do you want, would you rather be like me who eats, who prays before his meal, or like the dog? It's your choice. <laughs> I mean, we go through life not thinking about what God has done. We ought to. Let, let me take you in a, on a little secret. I have a hard time praying when I'm seated. If I'm at my desk, I see all the stuff to be done, and, oh, I've got to answer this email. Oh, I've got to. So what I like to do is walk and pray. Now, walking is good, and praying is better. <laughs> so I leave my house. It's about the middle of the street. So I get out of my house, and I turn right. That's the path. And the first section is always devoted to praise. So one day I praise God for his love, for his uh, power, for his uh, omniscience. One day, one attribute. And I get to the end of my street and I turn left because I can't go turn right. And what do I do on the, the second section? I start thanksgiving. So it's adoration and then I go into thanksgiving. And I thank God and I always start with Thank you for the salvation you gave me. Thank you for uh, electing me, predest uh, your predestination, how you chose me before the foundation of the world, how Jesus Christ died for me before the foundation of the world. Thank you because you brought regeneration to my soul, salvation, justification, adoption, the first fruits of the Spirit, the, the indwelling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, how you took me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Wow, isn't that great? How you adopted me. How you made me a co-heir of Jesus Christ. Do you think I've done that a few times? <laughs> yes. Sometimes I could rattle off, but I want to stop and think about it. And then I, I, I thank God for my mother, for my, my father, for my ancestors. I thank God for my wife, my kids, the church I pastor, you guys. I thank God for you guys. And then I get to the end of that section and I turn. And what is the next thing I do? I go into confession mode. Uh, it should be a, a long, long, long stretch, but keep it short and brief. And I get to the end of that section, and I say, yes, it's true, Father. Yesterday, I was pretty rude to my wife. I, I was curt, and I shouldn't have. I, I got angry for something stupid, or I didn't, I didn't respect the work she had done, or it could be one of the kids. Why, why was, was I so short-tempered with one of the kids? So, and then when I get home, sometimes I have to say, Miriam, the Lord spoke to me, and I have to tell you I was wrong when I did this. So I get to the end of the section. Enough confession right now. And I have one last section, and it's the longest. It's one, it's one and a half, and that's supplications. And so I start praying then. I pray for my wife. I, I pray for my temper. I pray for uh, you supporters of ours. And sometimes I've spent so much time on the second section of Thanksgiving that I run short on the last section. Do you think that's bad? No. no. I've done the main thing. I have thanked him and I've put myself in a position. I am his subject. And the right position for me is to thank him and to worship him. 
I try to time myself better. So sometimes I'll walk slower <laughs> on the last section so I have more time to... But we have to, to extol Him. We, we have to be close to Him, sharing with Him, not being absent-minded in recognizing God. Let's notice also, in front of whom is the Apostle Paul saying that this is happening? It is happening in front of the authorities and the rulers in the heavenly realms. Through the church, God is glorified in front. When we honor God, when we praise Him, when we serve Him, God looks and says, Hey, look, Calvary Memorial, that's my church. Look how they're glorifying me in Rockford. Wow. In front. You, you remember how Satan came before God and he was criticizing Job? You remember? In, in front of the rulers, there are times when Jesus says, Hey, Satan, my church there. Did you see that? Did you see that? Filled with my spirit, empowered they're glorifying me. That's what we ought to do in front of the authorities. The church, as meant by Jesus, is most assuredly beautiful. Young and old, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles, soldiers and captives, masters and slaves, men and women, languages, Parthian, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Romans, Cretans, Arabs, we hear and we declare the wonders of God in our own tongues. That's why divisions in the church, in his church, locally and universally, are such a shame. The unity of the church is important. Accursed is the one who brings division in the church of Jesus Christ. That is why racism is such a heinous sin, because it scars the face of God. And I could ask, who is a racist here? You know most of us are. <laughs> we'll say we're not, but, but let's fight against it. Let's refuse it. Let's recognize that we are united in Christ. One, one camp, I had a professor from England come. He was a hematologist. What kind of a doctor is that? A blood doctor. And he started explaining, and he said, you know, Daniel, it is possible that your blood is closer to your sister here than to your sister here. It can't be. She is black. You didn't know that, huh? <laughs> wow. The blood speaks. The blood speaks about the unity of the human race. My DNA can be closer to hers than to yours. Wow. I mean, racism is so stupid. <laughs> it flies against facts. God calls us to reject anything, all the things that divide the church. Rich and poor, we are one in Christ. Young and old, we're one in Christ. Black, brown, I love my family. I've got one daughter-in-law who's from Rwanda. I've got one uh, 
daughter-in-law that's from Cuba. Y hablo español. I've got two sons-in-law who are from, that are from Italy, and one is a Mexican. I mean, we've got all the shades in our family. <laughs> My brother-in-law is Asian. I mean, we got it. If there was anything of racism left in me, it got swept away. I'm going to have all kinds of grandkids, all the shades. And I love it because these are the shades of the creativity and the beauty of God. This is our God. Now, sometimes the church messes up big time. One of my mentors in another state, uh, he, he had passed his church on to his son. Then he came back at 80 years old. He got his son kicked out and he reclaimed the church and it's hitting the media. It is such a scandal in, in, in a big city in the U.S. And as I was reading, the son has been talking with me, the, the father has been talking with me, I thought I could hear Satan coming to Jesus and saying, did you see my church in your church in that city? Wow, what a shame. But then I was in Nigeria. Nigeria is, you pray, pray for Nigeria. You know, hundreds of Christians are being murdered by Muslim extremists in Nigeria. Hundreds. While I was there, I was visiting a church. I was there as the president, president of the Global Evangelist Forum. So we had to sell, you know, what we wanted to do in the country. And we were sharing about uh, the great work we were doing and felt pretty, go pretty good about it. And then we said, well, tell us about the church. And so the missions pastor, a, a lady, started talking about the church. And she said, well, um, we discovered that many widows were suffering. Widows of pastors. Especially widows of pastors. They had no means of income. And so we decided as a church we would support them. Oh, and how many are you supporting presently? 1,400. I went, oh, maybe the Global Evangelist Forum is not so great after all. <laughs> 1,400. Well, asking, can you tell me how many of those, uh, the pastors who, who, who died, were killed, were martyrs for their faith? And she said 70%. Imagine the number of pastors. If Pastor David was in Nigeria, he would be hunted. Because in all of the villages, they hunt the Muslim extremists will hunt the shepherds, the pastors. Because if you kill the shepherd, the flock is going to disband. Do you still want to be a pastor? Yeah. They also discovered that a lot of the kids of these, the orphans, would get bitter because they couldn't go to school. They didn't have uh, the way to, to buy the, the uniform or to pay for schooling. So the church said, we will pay for the schooling. <laughs> and I could tell a lot more about that church. But you know, as I left, I felt like saying, Satan, did you see Jesus' church here in Nigeria? <laughs> and I think that's what God was doing. He was proud of that church because the Spirit's power was flowing through it. We are God's showpiece. We are. The sh we, we showcase who God is. Lastly, we are God's showpiece made up of unlikely spokespersons. Who am I? 
That's what the Apostle Paul says. Who am I? I'm the least qualified of the whole bunch. Come on, Paul. Get real. Who had the best teachers? Peter? Best education, best diplomas. John? Paul. I mean, he didn't have enough walls in his house to put all the diplomas on. He was so educated. Who wrote the most difficult books of the, of the New Testament? Yeah, who could, who could write the longest sentences? <laughs> Paul. Who could use the best vocabulary? Paul. And he says, I'm the least qualified of all. He knew one thing. He knew one thing. He was the chief sinner. The blood that he helped to spill had colored the dust of Galilee and beyond. The rain had washed away the blood, but the stain on his life, on his life story, on his memory, remained vivid. His soul had been cleansed, but he still had the faces of the men, women, and children whom he had put in bonds and dragged back to Jerusalem in mind. Paul chose not to put himself in competition with the others. He would only compete for one honor. It took more grace to save me than it took to save you. <laughs> that was the only competition he wanted to win in. And you know, when you put yourself at the bottom, it's a lot easier to fight pride. It's a lot easier. Sometimes, like your pastor, I go to pastor's conferences and they ask all the, all the same questions. How many come to your services? What is the size of your auditorium? How many books have you written? What's the size of your budget? Yoopy-doo. <laughs> I mean, what's the point? I would almost ask, is Christ exalted among you? Is Christ exalted? Who is the superstar? Jesus is the superstar. He is the one we want to exalt. And that's what Paul was trying to do. It's not about me. It's about my use to him, my service to him, my witness to him. He understood and applied grace in his salvation. He understood and applied grace in his everyday life. He understood and applied grace in accomplishing his mission, his ministry. He, the persecutor, the murderer, became a herald of salvation. Salvation in Jesus. Preach, preach, preach. Amazing grace, it says there. Who wrote the song, Amazing Grace? John Newton. What had he been? A slave trader. And he could never get over the fact that he had been a slave trader. And he wrote Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like you, uh, like me. The grace of God. So what am I to do? Oh, I, I wish we had time to sing, I am a child of God. I am no longer slave. I am a child of God. First, we affirm who we are in Christ. We enter into full confidence the presence of God himself. The passage, go back home and read it again. He has granted me access. Sometimes we say, we are going to beat down the doors of heaven with our praying. Hey, let me tell you something. The doors are open. There are no doors to beat down. We can walk straight in to the throne of grace. 
and he's there welcoming us, and he says, give me a hug. I love you. Give me a hug. What's on your heart? But you know what he says after that? Go back out and tell. I told you, go tell. Oh, yeah, but that's why we pay a pastor. So we have someone who tells. We actually even have two here, so hey, we're well covered. Well, one and a half, right? (laughs) He's given us a commission. Go and tell. I'm not qualified. Do you sometimes, uh, what would it be? Do you sometimes brag about the bears? The bulls? The white Sox, The cubs? Why don't we take this? Why don't we take the same spirit to brag about our God? It's the same thing, naturally. We don't have to have a degree. We don't have to go to cemetery to, to get a degree so we can share. We can simply, I mean, guys, we talk about our wives and we brag about her and the way she cooks or the way she gets frozen dinners and can heat them perfectly. I mean, we brag, okay, at least we brag about our grandkids, right? I don't know a grandparent that doesn't brag about his grandkids. They're the best. Why don't we do the same thing with God? Simply brag about him. Tell about him to the others. Give them the desire to meet him. Whom has he appointed, do you think, to reach your neighbors? Whom does God has appointed to reach your family members? Whom has he appointed to reach your colleagues at work? Me? Well, we pay you as as our missionary. Well, I'll never meet your neighbors. You're right, you. Pastor? Well, the scripture says pastor is here to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Wow, that's his job. He equips you to go and tell your neighbors, your colleagues at work, your family members. You're at the be- in the best place to do so. Let us dwell. Let us dwell on what he has done for us. Never, never get tired of thanking him for the cross. Do it regularly. And sometimes, you know, I think when I'm doing my walk, okay, I don't have time today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten the time I spend on Thanksgiving. And I'll just say, oh, Father, thank you for salvation. And it's like I hear bangs. Okay, what? Go from predestination all the way to glorification. Do you think God needs to hear it? Do you think he's forgotten? Who needs to hear it? So my heart warms up and I get excited by all that he's done. And I think, wow, he's adopted me. He's made me a co-heir with Christ. And he's, whoo, stop. Let's dwell on what he's done for us. Let's brag about whom he is. Let's call on those around us to come to him. Our task is simple. Let's be proud of him. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, that was pretty spontaneous applause, but I need to remind you that applause isn't probably the best response. <laughs> The best response 
is to know that God has given you the gospel by which your life has been changed. Amen. Now go out and share it. Go out and make a difference in somebody's life. In closing, we're going to stand to sing.